0: Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 327. The 50th anniversary of Royal Caribbean's founding is this year, and the cruise line is celebrating a rich tradition of cruising achievements, milestones, and accolades. Whether launching a new ship, redefining the onboard experience, or adding new activities, Royal Caribbean has been a trailblazer in the cruise industry for half a century. Their record of accomplishments include the dining experience on board as well. Anyone that has cruised on Royal Caribbean before knows that eating on board has changed a lot over the years. And this week, we're lucky enough to be joined by Royal Caribbean's head of food and beverage to take a look back at the cruise line's legacy of dining. Here we go. Royal Caribbean is celebrating its 50 years of cruising excellence and innovations, including the cruise line's culinary efforts. Dining on Royal Caribbean has transformed over the years with more and more new options, innovations, and approaches to delivering outstanding cuisine from the dining rooms to the buffet to the pizza and even robot bartenders. Royal Caribbean is never one to shy away from pushing the envelope with what can be delivered on its cruise ships. And this week, we're taking a look back at 50 years of dining with Royal Caribbean, with the man whose job it is to make eating on a Royal Caribbean cruise an unforgettable experience. Lincoln D'Souza, who is Royal Caribbean International's Global Vice President of Culinary, Dining, and Beverage, joins me on this week's episode. Welcome, Lincoln.
1: Hey, thanks, Matt. Thank you to you and all of the listeners for your loyalty to the brand. Uh, love always speaking to you and, and sharing what the insights of what we do on board. Uh, and the great work the team does every single
0: day. Oh, the pleasure's all mine, and I am so honored to have you here on the podcast today, Lincoln. Because you know what you guys do is so incredible, and we're going to talk about a lot of different things here, both in the past and what you've done recently, and even what's coming in the future. And there's so many great place, so many things I want to talk about here. Uh, but you know, Lincoln, we have 50 years of dining history of real crummy to discuss. And only 30 minutes to do it. <laughs> so, um, luckily though, your team to put together a fabulous ebook that highlights how dining was, has changed across Royal Caribbean's fleet of ships, which is by the way, free to download. And I'll post a link to that in this episode show notes. But after putting the book together, what struck you the most about the scope of the work over half a century?
1: Yeah. You know, I think a uh, couple of things, right? I think first and foremost, what hasn't changed is um, the ability of our staff to produce just amazing, an amazing product with amazing service to go along with it. And I think that's what, Has kept us um, so strong as an organization over 50 years, both as it relates to food and beverage, but also the rest of the product that we deliver. Um, You know, it continues to be an amazing family vacation that um, spreads across all generations. And so, you know, thrilled to be able to deliver that product to our guests every day. I think as you think about the dining experience and what's changed, um, you know, in the early 60s, mid 60s, People ate at that dinner table every single day as a family, and I think that's changed a lot. Convenience has taken over versus the home-cooked meals of, of you know the yesteryear, and cuisine has become truly global versus you know the, the traditional cuisines that people ate at home. I mean, from you know just the dynamic of of um, Uber Eats and all of those convenient kind of delivery services, you're able to get food from essentially anywhere in the world delivered to your couch while you you know while you're watching Netflix. And so today, as you think about cruising on, on Royal Caribbean, it's an opportunity for families to sit together at a dining table and really reminisce on those times as a family together and really be able to connect and re-engage with each other again, which I think is a is a really great way to spend vacation. Uh, and so we're really glad that we're able to do that. The consumer is absolutely more aware of what great quality food is as well. And I think Food Network in the 80s really helped change how people looked at food. And you know, the emergence of uh, foodies in the in in the world has really changed how uh, people look and think about food and, uh, you know, what they consider the norm of, of eating today as well.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it really has transformed, especially like you said, you know, going from just purely here's some food to enjoying your cruise to an experience. And that really struck me how much. Royal Caribbean food and beverage has evolved over the years with, you know, when new ships are announced or existing ones get refurbished, you know, usually, historically, the the attention was always, oh, what are the new features, right? Water slides or, you know, what can you do on board the ship? But I really feel like these days, the guests are equally as interested in hearing about the terrific dining opportunities on board, right? We've got, with Oasis of the Seas, a new portside barbecue restaurant coming. That's a big deal. Can you talk about this evolution of dining on board and kind of what you were just talking about, the that that the the natural progression from a place to eat to an experience.
1: Yeah, you know, I think if we if we uh wind back time to 1969 of the Song of Norway and you think about, you know, the two venues we had on board, which was the dining room and the windjammer, which was essentially a window that served burgers and hot dogs to Symphony of the Seas, you know, our flagship here in the United States, um with 65 food and beverage venues on board, um you know that's a huge evolution. Uh, you you know the emergence of specialty venues, quick service restaurants like a local fresh, um, windjammer with the you know dining experience from around the world. Whether it's you know amazing Indian food to other Asian cuisines to great pizza, burgers, hot dogs, you name it. Pretty much over a seven day sailing in the Caribbean, you're going to get food from every corner of this planet. And and you know I think. Um, it's not just an evolution, but it's it's become a really central piece of the dining experience uh, of how of how guests you know eat on board our ship and experience um, the world really differently. And we're glad to be able to make the planet smaller and be able to allow people to experience uh, cuisines from all over the world. You know, if you if you're in our main dining room and you get escargot for the first time, that could be a really interesting and new new experience. But our guests have that opportunity to really experience new and different things as well as comfort comfort favorites as well
0: absolutely you know Lincoln, one of the aspects of your team's work that I am continuously impressed by is the level of research, trial and error, and fine tuning that comes with every new restaurant and experience you roll out. Whether it's a brand new venue like Hooked or Portside Barbecue or maybe evolving the different iterations of pizza at Sorrento's, there is a lot of work that goes into the final product. This is not just food you know, out of the frozen section of a supermarket. How does the R&D that you and your team do lead towards what we see as guests on board the ship?
1: Yeah, I think I think your listeners and our guests would love to know that you know we don't take this lightly. I mean, taking a concept from from concept to actual execution is a it's a eighteen month to twenty four month process, and there's a lot of work that goes into play. Some of it fun, you know. We get to go out and experience what the world of you know you, you mentioned barbecue a couple of times. Uh, that's going to be our newest concept on the Oasis of Seas of the Seas, um, uh, you know, revitalization as she comes back in the mar- market and. Uh, We're really excited about the amplification of the ship. And obviously, me personally, very excited about barbecue. Um, You know, as a a kind of a a self-proclaimed barbecue aficionado, I mean, somebody who smoked, has smoked meat for the better part of 10 years. um, You know, I could have said, hey, I know how to make barbecue. Let me go and figure this out. But instead, we we spend a lot of time researching barbecue, um, you know, with a really immersive trip in Texas as well as. Um, you know, my team getting out and visiting other parts of the United States where, you know, because barbecue is such a regional uh, experience for our guests. We wanted to be able to take that and make it as kind of global as we could. And so we've created a, a concept, I think, that our guests will love with the regional flair of Midwest barbecue and, and Southern Texas barbecue. And, you know, really this field using sauces and different flavors and, and rubs to be able to create a, a really unique experience. So I think the key to research, though, is understanding the guests. Um, creating a product that they really want, and then taking their feedback, right? I mean, we're in the process of creating um, the new Giovanni's uh, restaurant that will launch uh, in the next little while. And, in fact, yesterday we did a, a tasting on board the ship with our guests to really get a sense of what they like, what they didn't like. Um, and that's just one step. I mean, we'll go through, through three or four iterations before we launch um, Giovanni's Italian Kitchen and Wine Bar and Freedom of the Seas.
0: Yeah, it's incredible the amount of research that goes into, and I don't think you're you're even giving yourself enough credit here, Lincoln. Uh, there's a article I ran across, one of my favorite news stories to tell about you, um, is the uh, you. Uh, this is from uh, a cruise passenger, which is an Australian publication, and they said that you rented a minivan and tested fourteen to fifteen barbecue restaurants in Austin, then came back to Miami and tested the sauce and meat by building a barbecue in the parking lot of Royal Caribbean's headquarters. Like that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it was actually a pretty, it was a pretty fun uh, experience for us. We want to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward. And so, you know, we created that really to give an opportunity um, as we developed the product. We had some guest taste some early iterations, but this was an opportunity for our executives to do the tasting. And so we created in the parking lot a kitchen um, with smokers and Um, you know, table set up to to execute the food exactly as we would in the restaurant. And we essentially do that for every venue we create. I mean, we don't necessarily talk about it all the time, but we essentially create the whole venue, the space. We bring in the tables, we bring in the chairs, the uniforms, um, the plateware, and we put it all together and put it in in front of our executives and in front of guests and give them an opportunity to taste it before we roll it out. And I mean, the work doesn't stop there because once we launch the concept, that's where the, the rubber hits the road, so to speak, and our guests get an opportunity to tell us what they really like. And so Hook, there's an example, which is one of our newest venues we launched on Symphony at the Seas. And, and again, on Navigator of the Seas, we've had to go through a couple of different iterations to fine-tune the menu to deliver what the guests really wanted uh, because research can tell you part of the story, but this is an art and a science. And so the research is great. That's the science part of it. But when the art... Uh, part of it comes together and we really start to understand what our guests really like. That takes an evolution. And so we go back and go through this iterative process to ensure that the, that the product that we deliver continues to deliver on the guest expectations over a period of time. Um, I've done very similar with Playmakers as well. Um, but, you know, we've got home runs that come out of the gate and, and you don't even have to touch again. Our local Fresh is one of those. It's a complimentary venue that we have on the pool deck, both here on Symphony of the Seas and Navigator of the Seas. And, you know, that venue, I met a couple of folks last night from from Southern California and they've sailed with us for years. And they said, hey, one of the things we've always missed is really great Mexican food on board. And they said, you've done an awesome job creating what we would get as good as at, at home in Southern California. And we're excited to be able to have that. You know, here we're testing a couple of new things around breakfast uh, as well on Symphony with an avocado toast station with breakfast and I guess absolutely love it. So we want to get real time feedback from our guests along with the research that we do to send to ensure that we're evolving the product, delivering what the guest wants. Um, and you know, taking as much ego out of the process as possible and really creating what our guests are asking for.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's incredible work. I think I was on Navigator the Seas and we were at hooked and Lincoln came by and uh, I think we were ready for dessert and he was like, oh, you know, try the bread pudding. I think it's like version. I think you were like, this is the third iteration. You're kind of like Willy Wonka, like you're coming around with like all these creations in the back and maybe you roll it out, maybe never sees the light of day. But it's it's just, it's incredible to think about how many culinary innovations have occurred in the last few years and how impactful they've been. You know, you've, I mean, you've got Bionic Bar, Hibachi, new pool deck offerings, you mentioned El Loco Fresh there, tea houses on Spectrum of the Seas, and a lot more, by the way, have come out all in just the last decade. Never mind the last fifty years or so. So, since we have a lot of new cruisers who are listening, Lincoln, can you talk a little bit about some of the recent editions that really stand out to you?
1: Yeah, you know, and I hope to get a chance to look at the book. And I'm sure you'll share the link with all of your listeners and the folks who read your blog as well. You know, page twenty of the of the um, of the book really walks you through some of our newest concepts, like the bamboo room hook. Uh, you know, what we've done on cocoa k for food, like you talked about in Asia, we've got a couple of unique concepts, both leaf and bean, as well as Sichuan red. Um, and it's, you know, in the 24 months that a little over 24 months that I've been with the world, Caribbean, you know, I've had the pleasure of being able to create along with our product development team um, and the rest of the leadership team really create. Uh, I think it's something like 12 or 14 new concepts in bars and restaurants. And it's been really an amazing evolution. Um, you know, I, it's, Somebody asked me, yesterday, what's your favorite restaurant on, on Royal Caribbean? I said, I love them all. It's like asking asking somebody which of your kids is your favorite. And so, you know, I like them all. Um, they're all great restaurants, and I'm proud of every single one of them and the, the folks that run them and help develop them every single day.
0: You know, you come from a background of non – you didn't come from the cruise industry. You had positions before this uh, prior to coming to Royal Caribbean. What's something that really stands out to you um, in terms of the cruise – Uh, uh, restaurant approach as opposed to being on land. There must be certainly some challenges that are are unique, I guess is the right word, for uh, operating a restaurant on a cruise ship.
1: Yeah, I think one of the absolute coolest parts about the
0: cruise industry as it comes
1: to food and beverage is that we think about the guest experience first and we worry about the cost second, Hmm. which is very different from the restaurant land-based industry. When you when you develop a product from from a land-based industry, there's for sure you're looking at innovation, but you don't you don't have that kind of latitude to just go out and create whatever you want. I mean, there's a certain cost structure, there's a certain you know um, food costs that you can apply to a plate within a restaurant without it being um, you know inaccessible to your guests. But here. Our ability to have specialty restaurants like 150 that creates truly, you know, that that experience on land is a five star dining experience that you'd pay hundreds of dollars for. But on our ship, for on 100 bucks, you can get into a five star dining experience, and that's really cool to have that ability to, to deliver an experience to our guests that um, is not really constrained by how much it costs us to develop it, and it really gives us that freedom to create it and then figure out how we're gonna manage our manage our, our our dollars and cents to ensure that we can deliver that product, I guess. So I really like that. Um, it, you know, just the mass volume of what we do on board the ships and the huge teams that we have, you know, when you think about close to 60% of, of every ship is food and beverage employees. I mean, it's a massive machine. And then as you think about those employees rotating in and out of position every week, we've got employees coming on the ship, coming off the ship. I think that's kind of the most unique and special part about this job is that we've got great people who do just exceptional work. And they do that you know, for a long period of time each and then come back and we're getting new folks in and they're from all over the world. And so I think being able to understand and explain how all of that happens on the ship is just a a thing of amazement. Even to me today, being here two and a half years, um, I'm still amazed by it every single day.
0: Absolutely. And I got to take a moment here to talk about, know we're talking about the history of Royal Caribbean. Just earlier this year, your team and a lot of other people at Royal Caribbean as well helped give back so much to the people of the Bahamas after Hurricane Dorian. And the gargantuan undertaking that that entailed in such a quick uh, turnaround time is, I think, something... I mean, I got this chance a little bit to see that while uh, on board um, Mariner of the Seas. But, I mean, the amount of work that your team did, can you talk a little bit about the, the, the lengths at which you went to to help provide meals water and supplies to the people of the Bahamas. Uh, this was not just, you know, writing a check.
1: No, I mean, you know, first of all, thank you, you know, for, for calling that out to, to your listeners. I mean, we, you know, we are so proud of the work that the teams um, did to help the story. I mean, it was really a, a disastrous, disastrous hurricane for the folks in Freeport. And we've got a long deep history with uh, the Bahamas, as you know, our first destination um, as a company 50 years ago was the Bahamas. And so we've got this absolute deep-rooted history with them and and a love for the the country. And so, you know, literally uh, right after Hurricane passed, uh, the first ship that came in was Empress of the Seas delivering 20,000 meals produced by, you know, our employees had worked all day, stayed up all night producing meals, guests jumped in. Uh, They essentially, you know, created a... Uh, assembly line in the middle of the dining room producing 20,000 meals in a matter of hours just that got put on tugboats um, and and taken over to to Freeport to feed the folks in Freeport who, you know, it's just, um, you know, having spent some time with Freeport because right after the first five ships delivered meals, we made a commitment um, to Richard Fain to put a a field kitchen on the ground uh, outside of the Grand Lucayan Hotel. And we continued to produce twenty thousand meals for you know upwards of thirty days, serving a total of six hundred fifty thousand meals to the folks of the Bahamas within thirty days. And even today, we have folks on the ground distributing food supplies, equipment. Um, we had um, um, you know just an outpouring of support from our suppliers and food and beverage, uh, you know, helping us uh, saying, "Hey, what do you need? What can we get you?" You know, we had folks who delivered uh, a container of milk, uh, folks who delivered a container of meat, uh, folks who delivered prepackaged, ready-to-eat meals, um, and just said, "You know, we've got you. We'll help out. What can we help?" So, we're really thankful to our suppliers who have jumped in, uh, and you know, I'm so impressed to work for Royal Equipment and things we do. Money is never an object when it comes to looking after um, our, our, you know, our partners and and uh, our family around the world. Um, and it's you know we didn't even think about that and like you said you you know a lot of companies wrote checks and that's that's really awesome too we you know that the, the folks needed it but to be able to go out there um, you know a story that resonates with me is Mark Damis, who's our senior vice president of operations was on the ground um, at the first day we were there um, and one of the you know a bunch of our volunteers thirty volunteers from the ship plus some volunteers from the Bahamas uh, really a uh, sixty different uh, sixty volunteers from the Bahamas who helped us out. But this one girl who came off the ship, she was a new employee, was standing in line handing out meals. And she yelled at Mr. Mark, Mr. Mark, come in here, come over here. And he walks over to her line when she's handing out meals. And she says, hey, let me introduce you to my parents who have been standing in line, you know, for six hours waiting for a meal and then their own daughter's line, which was just an amazing moment. You know, if you think about, uh, you know, that and folks who had family, we have tons of employees from Bahamas, both on our ships um, and on Perfect Day uh, in coca Cay, And it was great to see all of them come together to really support uh, the folks in the Bahamas. So, super proud of the work the team did, super proud of all of my uh, team who went to the Bahamas and on the ground in really difficult conditions, um, really looking after the folks in Freeport. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up and really proud of the team and the work that they did
0: absolutely it's it's incredible work and it continue like you said continues to this day which is in in a world where news cycles you know are 24 hours and that's it uh it's 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 a real testament honestly to the to the work you guys do and you know a lot of the food and beverage stuff is the fun stuff like renting a car and driving around austin but it's also that dedication to what you're just talking about there in the bahamas so uh unbelievable stuff um But, you know, if you're listening to this episode, you're probably thinking these guys have definitely talked before. And that's definitely true. This is not the first time Lincoln and I have spoken uh, as I've had the privilege of meeting Lincoln and hearing all this work that goes into the restaurant, menus, decors, etc. It's why I wanted to absolutely bring him on the podcast. And, you know, one of the things I've always wondered, Lincoln, is when you develop a restaurant like a Hooked or maybe the updated Giovanni's Italian Kitchen wine bar that we alluded to earlier, how do you pick the featured dishes that eventually end up on the menu?
1: You know, it it really is driven by two things. It's driven by a ton of research. It's driven by what our guests say. So, um, you know, there's things that our team thinks is going to be the home runs and the winners. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we're probably right. And then uh, the other things are just, you know, what are guests looking for? What are the favorites? What, you know. This research around Giovanni's Italian Kitchen and Wine Bar—you know—we pulled menus from New York, from Midwest United States, the best Italian restaurants that uh, you know folks in our segment would visit around around the U.S. We looked at menus like Portofino, which we which was our first specialty restaurant at Royal Caribbean, and and you know we looked at the current Giovanni's and we looked at all of those menus, and we decided you, you do a lot of that research, and then you come up with you know hundreds of items. And now you've got to go fine tune it, and so. Once we've kind of got a, a baseline of what we're looking for, our team goes out and develops dishes. And, you know, between me and, and the culinary team, we'll go back and we'll really fine-tune, hey, is this what we're looking for? Is this what we're looking for? And then uh, working with the brief that we we create with product development, we really fine-tune the products we're looking for. Uh, and then we'll start the tasting process. And so the first one is generally me and my team. And we'll go through and we'll really critique each you know each other pretty hard and we'll say okay that makes sense and this doesn't make sense because that's our our first opportunity to really fine-tune. After that we generally send the menu to a couple executives within the company with marketing product development and operations. Uh, They'll look at it and give us their feedback kind of just at a high general level. We'll fine-tune that and put it in front of guests for the first time, uh, get that feedback which is a critical kind of checkpoint for us and from there we'll really go back to the the drawing board and spend a couple of, you know, three to four weeks really fine-tuning with the feedback received from the guests along with our consumer insights team who helps um, helps collect that feedback. And then we'll start to really put it in front of executives and eventually do a final guest tasting before we, we decide what's going on the menu. What's really cool is, is as part of our new, um, our new offices and headquarters that we're building in Miami, we are going to have a state-of-the-art test kitchen and space for us to be able to do a Research a little bit more uh, close to home and hopefully be able to bring guests in more frequently as we go through this process to really get a sense of what our guests are looking for and, and, you know, really make that uh, a
0: little bit of a faster process than it is today. Wow. So I guess that means no more barbecues in the parking lot then.
1: Yeah, I mean that one that one was really that was kind of the, the nexus for the change and, and my ability to be able to ask for this test kitchen because uh, that was an, a bit of an expensive endeavor but um, you know it was ne- it was necessary to really execute the product that we wanted to deliver on
0: you know you mentioned a couple of times uh, during this talk here the guest experience and guest feedback. If a guest is is listening to this and they want to provide feedback, whether they dine at a restaurant and they wanna share what they liked, what they didn't like, or perhaps they have an idea for something, what's the best way for guests to provide feedback to you and your team?
1: Yeah, you know, that's that's a really great question. One I will tell you I stay pretty close to what the guests are saying, both on, on your blog. Um, as you know I've popped in a couple of times in your live your live streams and you give <laughs> me a little. Bit um, so I, I definitely listen to the feedback. I follow uh, the various Facebook groups and all those kind of things uh, as a quiet observer. So that's number one. Uh, number two, obviously, we we measure guest experience on board through our Medallia surveys that are that are completed at the end of the experience, and so um, you know. Uh, I guess uh, we we go through those comments literally on a on a daily and weekly basis. We have a team who filters through that. We've got a consumer insights team, so all of that feedback comes through. Obviously, we receive emails um, from the vast majority of, of guests. I'm not sure that I want to dish that out here I'm, uh, on the on <laughs> the on your you know hand that out, but um, um, yeah, I mean you know I'm I'm not that hard to reach. LinkedIn's uh, a lot of folks connect with me on LinkedIn and send me send me notes. So. There's lots of ways to get us feedback um i'm always open to the folks See me on board the ship uh you know today after the um after the time with michael i had a lineup of guests who wanted to provide feedback and i captured those notes and so we are always open to feedback and uh there's you know i take all of that stuff seriously and we really want to make a positive change to deliver the best possible product i
0: guess absolutely well congratulations to you and your team 50 years uh, with Royal Caribbean, and obviously not even showing any signs of slowing down. Uh, once again, I'm going to post a link to that ebook that Lincoln's been talking about uh, on the show notes of this episode. And that's celebrating 50 years of dining on Royal Caribbean. I hope everybody listening can give it a read because it's not only a fun look back, but it has recipes for some of the best dishes and drinks that Royal Caribbean is known for. So if you can't be on a cruise you can maybe try to convince one of your family members to make it the same food that you would have had in the dining room or at a bar uh, at home. So, Lincoln, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Amazing stuff, and uh, let's do it again sometime.
1: Hey, man, for sure. Look forward to seeing you soon.
0: All right, time to answer your emails. Every week here on the podcast, we dive into the emails that you send me and try to answer as many questions as we can. We start off with an email from Joe Mock, Thanks for making my Wednesday drive so much better than AM Talk Radio. We're selling on Oasis of the Seas December 8th with my brother, and he is a food fanatic. The meal my wife and I had at Wonderland on Anthem of the Seas was one of the best meals we've ever had, land or sea, and I know my brother would love dining at Wonderland. Can't seem to find any information on whether or not Wonderland will be part of the amped up Oasis. Any insight from you? Enjoy your Turkey Day journey on Oasis and keep the royal info flowing. Joe, thanks for the email, dude. And the answer is uh, no, Wonderland is not part of the updates coming to Oasis of the Seas. I'll be selling on Oasis of the Seas November 24th, um, the Thanksgiving week, and I'll be sharing a lot of that and live blogging my experience over at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com and... Of course, we'll have a review of it here on the podcast as well to share with you. Our next email is from Jeff from Central Virginia. Hi, Matt. Long time listener to the podcast. Look forward to each week. Questions for you. We're thinking of booking a last minute Christmas or New Year's cruise this year from Baltimore or Bayonne. We can drive to either destination, although Baltimore is quite a bit closer. Looking to book two ocean view balcony rooms for two adults, two kids, ages 20 and 17. Any tips or suggestions on what to expect during the holiday season. Does Royal Caribbean do anything special or festive during the holidays? Do you drink packages especially specialty dining cost more? Will there be mobs of people? I expect the weather would be cold for most of the sea days, but there's plenty inside activities on the ship, right? I know we sailed an Anthem of the Seas during the 4th of July, and curious if you think that's a better choice for our 17 and 20 year olds than Grandeur of the Seas. We prefer balcony cabins, but wonder if they would get much use in the chilly weather. Jeff, thanks for the email. So that's an interesting question. I would tell you this, a couple things I want to go through. Number one, during the holiday season, Royal Caribbean definitely celebrates the holidays. If your cruise actually goes over the holiday, you can expect special events during your sailing. There'll be decorations up, that's for sure. But in addition to that, if your cruise is over Christmas or New Year's Eve, or both, you certainly should expect special events. Uh, there's going to be obviously New Year's celebrations on board the ship on New Year's Day, and at- Eve for that matter. And as well, on Christmas, you can you know meet Santa Claus, and there's... Uh, a variety of different activities being offered. So, yeah, they definitely get into the spirit of things, so to speak. In terms of the, do the drink package, especially dining, costs more? You know, I will tell you this much, the pricing for drink packages will vary from Selling the sailing, ship the ship. So it really has to do with demand more than anything. With the specialty dining, you will typically find on holidays, like the actual holiday itself, special pricing for perhaps the, that holiday, as opposed to the rest of the week in which the pricing is more in line, I think, with the rest of the year. Um, but there are going to be a lot of people who are going to want to do specialty dining on holidays. So my advice is if you go on a holiday cruise, whether it is Christmas, whether it is the 4th of July, whether it is even Cinco de Mayo, believe it or not. If you're cruising over a holiday and you want to eat at a specialty restaurant, you probably should make reservations in advance because it'll just lock in your spot for that. So I, I would tell you that. Now in terms of the ship and the right one for your kids, and you know, your kid's a little older, especially, uh, the, you know, the 20 year old Anthem of the Seas is inevitably going to offer more on board to do than grandeur. I mean, this is just, you know, pure science here right anthem of the seas is a much larger ship than grandeur of the seas and it's a newer ship now that's not a slight on grandeur you can still have a great time on grandeur of the seas i guess it really boils down to what you're looking like. If you're the type of person who says, look, I want to have a ton of activities to do, then perhaps Anthem of the Seas is the right fit for you because, of course, you have the C-Plex, which is an indoor sports area where they have a basketball court, roller skating, bumper cars, etc., in addition to an indoor pool and a variety of other activities. Certainly, you can argue that's the right choice, especially that time of year. I mean, Anthem is built for that. Now, that being said, you'll still have a great time on Grandeur of the Seas. Not I can say you're, all you have your choice is to sit around and, and wait for the weather to warm up on Grandeur. You'll still find activities, but it's more of a classic cruising experience on Grandeur of the Seas. So, you know, if it, all things being equal, especially with your kids, I might lean towards Anthem of the Seas for the variety of activities and the more insulated options that are available in terms of the plex and the indoor pool, of, in, in addition to a variety of other things. Um, but I don't think going on Grandeur is a mistake either. It really boils down to what are you looking to do during those sea days and what kind of a day are you expecting? Uh, look. I don't think anyone will slight you for going on Anthem of the Seas. We had an awesome time on Anthem of the Seas earlier this year. And I know that my kids really enjoyed it. And being able to take a ship out of the Northy, especially during the winter months in which you're going to have a day or two of a little chilly weather, it's really nice being able to still go for a swim and be able to be active a little bit more. And I know for kids especially, that's very important. So Jeff, thanks for the email. And we have time for another email or two. Let's go to our next email. It is from... Uh, Millie who writes, Hi Matt, me and my boyfriend love your podcast. I've been cruising since I was very young, but now I have him addicted. We've been on a few three-day cruises and now ready to step it up. YOLO book it, right? We're going on our first seven-day cruise on Symphony of the Seas. We've got the water park passes for Coco Key, but not sure what to do in Puerto Rico or St. Martin, as These are new ports for us. Are there any kind of third-party tours in these ports or must-see places? We also have the Key program. Any tips to get the most out of that? Millie, thanks for the email. So a couple things I want to point out for you. First of all, thanks to the email. Second of all, um, if you're going to San Juan, Puerto Rico, I think first and foremost, you can simply walk off the ship and explore old San Juan on your own. There are a variety of tours that are available if you want to get really some great culture and history in with it. But I think you can do a lot of that on your own. Your ship will dock in the, really in the heart of old San Juan. And as soon as you walk off the ship, You are there. So unlike so many other places in the Caribbean where you need to take a taxi or a bus to get somewhere, you're really in the heart of it. And I find it very easy to walk around Old San Juan, explore on your own, and get a sense of the culture and history there. There's tons of buildings, museums, things to see and do. You can easily do that on your own. St. Martin, this is a port where you're gonna wanna have something planned, right? And there's a variety of activities to do. By far the most popular choice in St. Martin is to go to a beach. You know, you've got, Traditionally, it would have been Orient Beach, but which is on, on the French side. By the way, St. Martin is divided in two. There's a Dutch side and a French side. You dock on the Dutch side, but it's very easy to traverse the island via taxi or bus. Um, but again, Orient Beach, which was the most popular beach, was kind of devastated by a recent hurricane in 2017. It's still not quite up to back up to what it used to be. So my recommendation instead is to go to Grand Case Beach, which is also on the French side. You can easily take taxis around. You can book an excursion through Royal Caribbean as well there's lots of variety of choices for you to see and do. Uh, and St. Martin has a fair amount of, of activities. Again, not everybody wants to go to the beach and there's uh, great shopping in downtown Phillipsburg. You can go to the capital, which is of the French side, which is Marigo. Phillipsburg is the capital of the Dutch side. Marigo is the capital of the French side. So you can go to either one of those, you know, I think you'll find a good variety of activities to do there. Um, so hopefully you'll have a great time because I absolutely love St. Martin. I think it's beautiful waters out there. Really, really a lot of fun. And in terms of the key and getting tips out of that, my advice to you, number one, get to the port early so you can take advantage of that early embarkation time. Number two, um, make sure you drop off your, your carry-on luggage in the designated area. Usually it's in the theater, but as part of the key program, you get to be able to drop off luggage and you get a complimentary lunch in the main dining room with, with food from Chop's Grill, which is absolutely stunning. So enjoy that. And then beyond that, really take advantage of what the key offers you, namely the signature activity access, right? And you're going with symphony of the sea. So whether that is access, perhaps a reserved seating in a show or water slide time, I mean, what you really want to do is maximize your investment with that and take advantage of what the key program has to offer. So look for the schedule of times in which key guests can have priority access and just make time for those things because that's what you're paying for. And I feel like that's really where you'll get the most value out of it. So thank you, Millie, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. And until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again real soon.